0: I've made this confession in times past. Some of y'all, though, are new to Harvest Church, and so I'm just going to let you know something about me. I enjoy a good Hallmark Christmas movie. (laughs) Great American Family, I think, is the new is the new thing we're supposed to be watching. I I like those too. Now you hear the you hear the phrase "good Hallmark movie," and some of y'all are thinking that's an oxymoron. (laughs) There ain't no such thing, and and maybe you're right. I'll I'll freely admit like 98-plus percent of them are pretty terrible, but every now and then, it's like mining for gold. Every now and then, Jennifer and I will find one we actually like, and we'll save it to the DVR, okay, for future viewing. My personal favorite, see if you've seen this one. It's about a girl who's super busy at work at her job in the big city, and she's up for a promotion, so she has no time for love. But then her dad breaks his ankle, and she's got to go back home to her small, idyllic town to take care of her dad over Christmas, and there, you'll never believe it, she runs into her old boyfriend, (laughs) who just happens to run the Christmas tree farm there in town, and they reconnect, and what she comes to realize is that everything she ever really wanted was right there all along, and then they kiss, and then that's the end. Have you seen that one? That's a good one. Uh, Y'all, the reason these movies are so popular is because they offer us a detachment from reality, right? They give us cookie-cutter scenarios. There's never any real risk. Everything's going to turn out just fine in the end. And see, a lot of people like that because the truth is life can be kind of disappointing. Life is not always cookie-cutter. We're not always sure that everything's going to turn out right in our circumstances. Real life can be... Not just disappointed, but kind of of a slog. Real life, if we're honest, can be wearisome, which is why we enjoy light-hearted things that kind of rescue us out of that weariness. But y'all, I want to encourage us in something today, and it may sound strange to say it out loud. But for the Christian, weariness is actually a very natural and normal and even God-ordained part of life. We're meant to feel Weariness, because we talked about this a little bit last week, we're in the Advent season. And Advent is a strange time for us, because the word Advent means coming or appearing. And so on one hand, it makes sense. Advent's during Christmas. We're looking back on the birth of Jesus, his coming into the world, the baby in Bethlehem. But Advent is also, for us, a looking ahead. We're looking ahead to the return of Christ, when he will come again, his promise to return for his church and to establish his once and forever rule and reign a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells that's what we're looking forward to and so for us as Christians we live in this very strange in between which is terrible and wonderful all at the same time right see on one hand it's wonderful to receive Christ by faith we now live as new creations we are forgiven and free there ain't nothing wrong with that it's wonderful Christ has accomplished our redemption in his life and death and resurrection. And yet, there's this terrible sense of present reality that we still live in a very broken world, a world plagued by evil. We're still beset ourselves with sin and sickness and all manner of hardship and suffering. That's that's reality. And so Advent is a time, one, of celebration, but also a time of longing, of yearning. And this is where I want our focus to be today okay one of my we're gonna sing it here in a few weeks maybe my all-time favorite song and perhaps my all-time favorite line from any song it comes from the the hymn O Holy Night we know this when it says a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn y'all when we look at Romans 8 today this is what I want us to see in this Advent season weariness is something we wouldn't choose but it's a perfectly normal part of the christian life it's god ordained we are citizens right now of a weary world but in our weariness we look ahead to a hope a hope that is so glorious and bright and certain that we can face anything and romans 8 will teach us that today we're we're picking up in the middle of this great chapter the Apostle Paul's words, beginning in verse 18. Let's read the whole paragraph here together first before we break it down at the specific level, okay? Romans eight eighteen. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait Eagerly for it. The man who wrote these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about his story, you know he was a man well acquainted with suffering, perhaps more than anybody else in the New Testament outside of Jesus. And so when when the Apostle Paul talks about suffering, we ought to lean in, we ought to listen carefully, because this is not a man who deals in theory. He's not dispensing advice into an arena for which he has no experience. He suffered. He wrote this letter and and basically all of his letters he wrote while in prison, at the very least in house arrest. He did not live an easy and comfortable life as a Christian. And so when we consider Paul's sufferings, his shipwrecks, his beatings, his anxiety, all that he experienced, it should strike us how confident he is in that opening line. You see it in verse 18? Look at this confidence. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, there's a lot that can jump out off the page in a verse like that. Two things for me that just stick with me. The first is, is just the bare fact, the reality of suffering. You notice how Paul, he just assumes that Christians are going to suffer. He doesn't see his own suffering as unique. It's one of those things that every Christian is meant to experience. Again, God-ordained, we all suffer. And that can be a hard pill for us to swallow. Because oftentimes, I just confess, oftentimes I feel entitled to good circumstances, especially as a Christian. Look, I love God. I know God loves me. So bad things shouldn't happen to me. Isn't that the formula? It should be that simple. If if I know God loves me, if I love God, I do my best to be a good Christian. Why why would anything bad ever happen to me, or at least not the really bad stuff that happens to some others? I should be exempt at least from some of it. But y'all, that I mean, even just a quick look at your Bible will show you that that doesn't add up. I, I don't I don't know who your Bible hero is. You can pick one. It won't matter. Every single one of them suffered significantly. All of them. Even Jesus, and especially Jesus, it, wouldn't we think if anybody would be exempt from suffering, would get a free pass, it would be God's own dear perfect son who never sinned. You couldn't say he earned it, he deserved it, no. And yet Jesus suffered worse than anybody. And so we recognize, I hope, that suffering is a non-negotiable part of life, even the Christian life, and yet we, I hope we understand also that our hardships, according to Romans 8, our hardships don't exist outside of the will of God. As if God somehow missed the opportunity to rescue us out of the bad stuff. Or he's just impotent, he can't do it. He would if he could, but he can't. No. Suffering is part of God's will and purpose for our life. Suffering is how God makes us more like Christ. We didn't read this earlier, but the, the verse that precedes this paragraph, it's verse 17, Paul says if we suffer with Christ, we will also be glorified with him. If we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. That's the promise. That's the path to glory. And so we can face, I hope, the reality and the expectation of hardship. No one's exempt. We shouldn't be surprised, Peter says, by the fiery ordeal that surrounds us. But the second thing that jumps out to me it's the glory that comes through suffering. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Y'all, what you know what that means? It means that at the return of Christ, Jesus is not going to return simply to even the score for us. As if when you encounter Jesus face to face, he's going to look at you with great compassion and say, "Child, listen, I know you suffered 10 pounds worth of suffering." Here's 10 pounds worth of comfort and relief. And now we're even. I'm going I'm to give you back what you lost on earth. You know, some of us might be tempted to take that deal, right? Even things out. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not the promise of the Scripture. The Bible actually gives us something far supreme to that kind of evening of the score. You see what Paul says, our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Meaning, our present suffering, our future glory, they don't even belong in the same conversation. It'd be like comparing the weight of a feather to the weight of a mountain. And that's what Paul says elsewhere. This momentary light affliction, this present life, is storing up for us a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Y'all, the glory you will share with Jesus Christ forever is going to outshine even your worst day a million to one. There's no evening things out in heaven. You're going to get back a million times greater than anything you suffered in this life. They're not worthy to be compared. Now, I want us to hold on to this idea because we're going to come back around to it again later. But in this great promise, we have to reconcile present reality. And Paul is not, he's not a pie-in-the-sky apostle here. He knows that we have to reckon with the bare fact of life, that life is wearisome. And so right after the triumphant promise, he brings us straight back down to earth again in verse 19. What we just read, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And This is fascinating, y'all. The problem of suffering is not unique to human beings. The whole creation suffers, Paul says. And here's the way he frames it. He says the creation, all the world, the universe, is anxiously longing to be set free from its slavery to corruption. The world has been subjected to futility. Now, y'all, this this goes way back now to Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world and God issues a curse to say that human sin is not just a problem for individual humans. Sin has corrupted everything, everything. And now creation itself cannot fulfill its intended purpose. Things are not as they ought to be. And y'all, you just look around the world for all the beauty that's in the world. The truth is the world is in perpetual cycle of disaster and decay and death. That's just the way things go. And that includes all manner of of sickness, of disease, tornadoes, floods, pandemics, everything that we see that's not right. It's a a product of the curse. And so we're told creation itself groans in frustration, and it suffers the pains of childbirth. That's a vivid picture, isn't it? The pains of childbirth. Now, Jesus spoke on this. If you remember, there was a time where Jesus spoke of childbirth as something too miserable even to describe, and yet it's temporary and the outcome is joy for a child who's entered the world. So it's misery, but it's only temporary and it gives way to great rejoicing. And this is Paul's point, that the suffering of this present time is not final. It's not permanent. That's why we're told the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the Son's of God. It's, it's y'all, it's, try to imagine it's as if the whole world is up on its tippy toes, craning its neck, trying to see over the horizon to see what's coming next because the whole creation, in a sense, is ready and waiting and eager for the return of Christ and the resurrection of his saints, the revealing of the sons of God, the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what awaits the creation. A reconciling and renewing of all things. That's the promise that Jesus will bring when he comes. And see, what what Paul mentioned back in verse 18, the glory that's going to be revealed to us, he says the entire universe is riding on this, not just us. All of creation is waiting and hoping for that day when Jesus Christ will bring to completion, to consummation, his glorious redemption. The weary world. Is in a season of Advent all the time, always waiting on the coming of Christ in His glory. But it's not just the world. Look at verse 23. Not only this, but also we ourselves, we Christians, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of of our body. You know, that, those of us who by faith in Jesus Christ have the first fruits of the Spirit, which is kind of like saying we have a down payment guaranteed by God. Uh, earlier, if you read all of Romans 8, there's a part in earlier in the chapter where Paul speaks of us as God's children and therefore we are also heirs. An heir is somebody who is fully in the family, All the rights and privileges of the family belong to you, but the fullness of the inheritance still awaits. It has not yet come. It's not yet yours in such a way that you can hold it in your hand. It's guaranteed, but it's not yet fully realized. And that's what Paul says it is to be a Christian. We have the Spirit already. We belong to God entirely, and yet there's a glory yet to be revealed to us that goes beyond all imagination. Therefore, Paul says, because we live in this in-between, we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For me, this is a critical point, a reminder. To be a Christian is not to be a pretender. We don't ignore pain. We don't pretend suffering away. If you've ever been, you know, informed or just kind of implicitly came to understand that to be a Christian is to paint a smile on your face, grit your teeth, and just be happy all the time, or else you're going to be an ungrateful person, or else maybe you don't really, you don't really love Jesus because you're not able to withstand the hardships of life, so just smile your way through it. That's what it it means to be a Christian. Fake it till you make it. But no, y'all, we don't pretend. Paul says we groan within ourselves. We feel deep in our hearts the brokenness of our world. We grieve death and disease. We get angry over injustice, at least we ought to. We lament over sin, both the sin out there in the world and especially the sin in here, in me. Y'all, a Christian is not somebody who lives a pie in the sky, false reality where everything's just fine all the time, or at least we pretend it is. No, we live on the front lines of the real world, knowing that things as they are now are not what they ought to be and they are not as they will be by God's promise. And so we crane our necks and stand on our toes anticipating the promise of a certain hope that is fixed on Jesus Christ. And that's how this scripture ends. You see verse 24? For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Uh, We're coming up on the end of the year. If you're on social media, you've seen this every year. It'll happen again in the coming weeks. People are going to really start bashing on 2022 in anticipation for the year to come. 2022 is finally over. Aren't we so glad all this mess is going to be behind us? Bring on 2023, all right? Have you heard this one before, though? We do this every year. Every single, 2020 was the worst of all, apparently, right? But not anymore. It's 2022 now was even worse somehow because we create in in our imagination, we create a scenario where this year's been trash and next year, that's where it's at. Maybe 2023, we're finally going to get past this COVID stuff once and for all. Maybe in 2023, we'll have a more peaceful political landscape. Don't count on it. Maybe next year, the economy's going to stabilize and everything's going to be okay. And see, we're going to pin our hopes on next year. This year, not so great. Next year. And y'all, listen, maybe next year for you will bring a new job, more money, more happiness. I don't know. Maybe. That's a pretty big maybe to bank on, though, isn't it, y'all? And here's the truth. See, whatever, things may get better for you next year in some regard, but it's going to get worse in another. I mean, nothing is ever going to trend entirely perfectly for you in this broken world, no. Anything that might improve is going to bring new hardships along with it. And so here's a good question for me. (laughs) Why would I pin any of my hopes on this present world when this present world has pinned all of its hopes on Jesus Christ? Isn't that what we've been reading? The present world is waiting eagerly for the redemption of the sons of God. The present world in all of its futility is looking ahead to the return of Christ. Why would I be any different? We don't pin our hopes on this world on the year to come or any other such temporary things. Maybe next year will be better, but it's a false hope either way. Our hope is in Christ, and because it's in Christ, we have a real hope, a hope that is fixed and strong and secure and eternal, And glorious. He is our hope, not anything we do or that can be given to us in this life only. Y'all, there might be a helpful contrast here to consider. I'm gonna reach back now about 20 years to Intro to World Religions, Mississippi State University. Dr. Mullen, she was great. She taught us about uh, Buddhism, and this is very fascinating. Here's the legend of Buddhism about a man named Gautama, who had lived a very charmed life and yet finally he goes out into the real world and begins to encounter all sorts of terrible suffering something that in all his privileges and wealth he'd never experienced for himself but now he sees others going through all kinds of terrible things and he becomes a very disillusioned man he can't believe this is what the world really is and so he comes to this conclusion the goal of life is to avoid suffering at all cost And to avoid suffering, you have to detach yourself from the world. You have to detach yourself from the emotions and the entrapments of this present world. And then, if you're able to avoid it all, then you can escape suffering and you'll reach personal enlightenment. That's not good news, by the way. At best, that's good advice, and it's not even that, in my opinion. Y'all, as Christians, we celebrate good news, not good advice. Y'all, what we don't celebrate... In the church is that once upon a time Jesus separated the clouds and peeked down into this crazy world and said y'all this is terrible you got to get out of there let me help you reach enlightenment let me help you become a better version of yourself let me help you escape the mess now what we celebrate this Advent season is that Jesus Christ entered into the world himself he didn't detach from the world He entered right in to all of our weakness, our humility, our poverty, our temptation. Jesus came right in. And in the most unbelievable way, He entered in as a baby in a manger. I mean, what's more vulnerable than a peach? Y'all remember that from Elf? What's more vulnerable than a baby in a manger? The great glorious God of the universe taking on human weakness to become like us in order to enter into our reality. And above all things, He entered into our suffering. Jesus Christ suffered. And not just like us, but He suffered for us. He suffered condemnation for our sins. Y'all, Isaiah prophesied this a great many centuries before it came to pass. He spoke by the Spirit of the Savior and said, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. That's the message of our faith. Not, the world is terrible, get out of there. We Christians, we got to separate ourselves from all of this. And we'll eat Chick-fil-A, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll watch Great American Family together, and we'll just create our own little communes where we can avoid the suffering and the bad stuff out there. Y'all, there is, you won't find that in the Bible. There is no such life God's called us to. The message of God's truth, God's word, is this, that God loves the world and sent His Son into the world for our sake. There's nothing we're meant to do to separate ourselves out to prove somehow that we're worthy of God's love. No, we never were. And so God entered in to do something about us, to do something about sin and death and all suffering, to give us a glory beyond compare. Y'all, when Buddha was ready to die, his final words, you may have seen these before, he said, strive without ceasing. It's all on you. Jesus's final words as he lay on the cross, he said, it is finished. He has done it all. It's all on him. Our salvation has been accomplished through the suffering of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He came into the world to be the light in the darkness. And so when we suffer, when we suffer, Paul says we suffer with Christ in union with him. When we groan and cry out, over the brokenness of this present world, we don't despair in our groaning. But we do it with the assurance of hope that Jesus Christ suffered in order to give us. Which means, y'all, our hope is not in our own ability to rise above the mess. Our hope is not that next year will be better than this one. Our hope is not some fake, kind of phony, hallmark hope that in the end, everything will work out just the way it's supposed to. No, our hope is in the coming of Jesus Christ. His first coming, which we celebrate at Christmas, the baby in Bethlehem, and his coming again, which we now eagerly await. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Now, nobody likes feeling weary. That's a disposition we wouldn't choose. But it's part of life in the in-between. And it doesn't mean we're happy about it, but it means that we do feel it deep down and embrace it, because what does that weariness do? It heightens our dependence on the Lord, and it heightens our anticipation and desire for His coming. We ought to want nothing more than for the day of God's choosing to come, the day that is fixed according to his wise and perfect counsel, that he will send his son back for his church to establish once and for all the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. That's our hope. And so here in the meantime, we are weak. We groan in weariness. And that's okay. Because in our weariness, we will, I pray, come to a renewed trust in Jesus Christ, and a deepened, more bright and shining hope in the certainty of his grace for us. Get up on your tiptoes with me here as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our body. Y'all, if there's anything that we can do in terms of praying for you, encouraging you through your own weariness and trial, if we can pray for you about even what it means to be a Christian, to come into relationship with this Savior we're talking about. then just like we did last week, I want to encourage us here in a moment, we're going to have uh, our pastors, Aaron and Evan, are going to stand right there by these back doors so that during the time of prayer here in a moment, during our last song, at any point in this final portion of the service, if you want to just step back and and have a conversation, enter into prayer with with one of our pastors, then man, we would invite you to do that. If the Lord is at work in your heart, if you just have a great need, and you need to be encouraged then that's why we're here today. And so here in a moment, I want to invite you, if you'd like to go to the back and step out with them, that they'll be on the ready for you. But Y'all, here's our hope, that God, in a weary world, God did not reject us, but God entered in. And now, even in our weariness, in this in-between place, God has promised to enter in once more, to visit us in the return of Christ, to bring to, to completion, to consummation, All of his glorious promises for those who hope in him. That's good news. Let's pray. Father, will you give us uh, this morning, Lord, uh, an honesty with ourselves? We can be honest about our, our weariness, our struggle. Lord, in this present world, in this life, help us to be honest, Lord, with ourselves and, and with you and even with each other. Lord, we're, I'm weary of my sin. I'm weary of, Lord, what this world is, Lord. I'm weary of any thought of the future and how bad things could get. And the anxiety, Lord, that enters my my heart and mind, Lord, I'm weary. And I trust, Lord, that we all are in, in some form or fashion, Lord, we are. But Lord, I pray that that there's no sense of having to fake it here. We've got to just smile our way through it. Lord, we can we can actually bring all of this weariness to you. That that our anticipation, our hope, our our um, Our expectation, Lord, would be heightened and deepened. Jesus is coming. And Lord, we don't know when, but I pray that we would long for his return. And Lord, that we would treat his return with with such certainty and urgency as we do his first coming. Lord, we, we can consider... The baby in the manger sent into the world for the hope of sinners to take away, Lord, all that condemns us, to bring life instead of death, to bring freedom rather than slavery. And Lord, if it's true that Jesus has come, that he's died and he's been raised again, then, Lord, I pray we would bank with great certainty on the day that is to come the glorious redemption of our body and the revealing of the sons of God. Father, will you give us a a new outlook, perhaps, on life today as as we engage in this world? Lord, the whole world depends on this. Only if Jesus returns is there any hope at all. And so, Father, I pray we would crane our necks looking for his coming, praying and hoping, Lord, for the day in which he says, I make all things new. For the day in which, Lord, there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness or death. Lord, no more hospitals, no more Breakups, Lord, no more abandonment, no more abuse, no more death, all things new. Father, let us be a people, even in this in-between, that live like we really believe this and that our hope is certain. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Let's put everything on him. Let's trust him with it all. Help us, Father, we pray in his awesome name. Amen.